Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. Today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. I've always loved Palm Sunday. I love listening to the story of Jesus riding into town, and I love all the ornate crosses made from the palm leaves. My grandmother used to create some really beautiful ones that we still pull out every year as part of our Easter decorations. But Palm Sunday is more than just pretty palm crosses and a beautiful story. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of the holiest week of the year, the beginning to the end of Jesus' life here on earth, the beginning of an incredibly sad story. We know this story ultimately has a joyful end on Easter Sunday, but only because of the pain and suffering of Good Friday. Jesus knew the ending of this story and what he would be facing. He spent time agonizing in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane over the sacrifice he would make, so much so that blood poured from his pores, and yet, in anguish, he still prayed more earnestly. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. He prayed. Jesus prayed. And he prayed earnestly. He prayed that his father would let this cup pass from him if there was any other way he could change the ending of the story. And what he understood through his impassioned prayer was, it was not what I will, but what you will. So let me ask you something, especially at the end of this Lenten season. How is your prayer life? Personally, it's lackluster. It's not that I don't pray. I'm fluent in the Hail Mary and Our Father. I even tried to do a novena once. But during Lent, we are called to pray, fast, and give alms. And for me, the part that I struggled with the most this year was prayer. I've never been one to just burst into prayer, and I actually get a little uncomfortable when I'm in a group setting, and the group leader tells us to bow our heads and just starts praying. How do they know exactly what to say? And where can you get some of this confidence and familiarity with just praying in front of a group of people? Because I'd like to buy some, please. In my research, I've come across so many saints that make prayer look easy. They can be still and quiet in prayer for hours, and to them, it feels like mere minutes. Me? I can't close my eyes for five minutes without either thinking of everything else I could be doing or falling asleep. True story. And they somehow find hours to pray when I can barely fit in an extra 10 minutes. I'm also an extremely private prayer, unless I'm at mass, where everyone says the same prayers, and it's at the same moment every time. 
Don't ask me to lead you in grace at the dinner table and expect a long soliloquy about my gratefulness. You'll be lucky if I can muster. God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. So I must be doing something wrong, right? Well, not according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. According to the Catechism, prayer is both a gift of grace and a determined response on our part. It always presupposes effort. The great figures of the Old Testament before Christ, as well as the mother of God, the saints, and even Jesus himself, all teach us this. Prayer is a battle. Against whom? Against ourselves and against the wiles of the tempter who does all he can to turn man away from prayer, away from the union with God. We pray as we live because we live as we pray. If we do not want to act habitually according to the Spirit of Christ, neither can we pray habitually in his name. The spiritual battle of the Christian's new life is inseparable from the battle of prayer. Prayer is a battle. I'd never really thought of it that way before. Have you? And if it's a battle, what's the best way to arm yourself? To answer these, today I'm speaking with Father John Bateman of St. Patrick Parish in York about the ways we can elevate our prayer life and make it an effective tool in our lives, not just at the end of Lent, but throughout the year. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you back. It's a pleasure to be back. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about why prayer is important? Oh, my goodness. Prayer is essential. Um, A lot of times when I talk about prayer, I'll use kind of that image. When you look at the scriptures all the way through, there's always these images about dew and rain and watering the earth and all those kinds of things. And I often will tell people that's so true with prayer, that just as the water seeps into plants and, and gives them the ability to grow and to be vigorous. And if it doesn't have water, they wilt and die. That's our prayer life. We need to sink our roots into God and soak up all the things that we can. And it's prayer that really enables us to do that, to delve deeply into the Lord and and be filled with all the graces he wants to give us. That's why it's essential or we wither and die just like the plant. I love that. I love that analogy. It's a really good visual. Yeah. So if someone is not already praying, what's the best way to just get started? What's the old Nike commercial? Just do it. <laughs> just do it. And that's hard. And, and I was thinking about how do you pray? Kind of that question. How do you pray? And I think that's a multifaceted question. Because the first is, as you just asked, if they're not already praying, how do you start? Well, you just got to do it. You need to often suggest to people do you have a place that you pray? It's it's the prayer chair in the corner <laughs> that has a crucifix there, or maybe a statue of Mary, or, or a, a relic if you have one, or all those kinds of images. So you know, when I'm in this chair, I'm praying. I'm not doing other things. It's not something that you catch just in the car as you're driving, or in the, the lounge chair with the TV on in the background. <laughs> you know, It's a very special place that you go to do it. I often, in my own life, remember uh, Fulton Sheen. He wrote a book to priests, uh, the title of which I can't remember. But uh, he said, a holy hour, for us as priests, a holy hour needs to be so integral in the day that if you miss it, it's like when you wake up late and your whole morning routine is off and the whole day you're out of whack because you forgot your watch. 
You know, it should be that kind of experience that if we miss that prayer, the day is off. And so it's having the place and it's also then having the time, setting aside a specific time. When do you pray? So where and when? I think that's the start. If somebody's not ready, what's the best way to start? Okay, we got our place. We got our time. Now, what do I do? <laughs> the best place, I think, to, to start is where the ch- what the church gives us, and that's the daily readings. We have readings from the scriptures every single day. And so just to take those scriptures, and you know, it, it's a lot to jump into uh, Lexio Divina, the divine reading, but to really do that, the scriptures are so vivid, uh, especially the Gospels, that you can really do that. And there's not advertising, but there's two apps I know of that I really enjoy that could really help somebody to do that. One is um, Pray As You Go. And every day it's about 10 or 12 minutes, so it's not terribly long, but it's got some music introduction. And then it has one of the readings from the daily mass. So it's the daily readings. And then just this reflection, it asks some questions and, you know, what do you think about this? And how about this? And Jesus did that. So that's one way. The other app that I know of is um, Hollow, and they have a Lexio Divina, Lexio Divina section, and you press that, and that's a much more um, strict Lexio Divina. So it's read the reading, listen to it again, and then where is God leading you? What words jump out? What things strike you? And, and it's kind of some silence. So it's different ways. But I, I think that's the way to start, to just take the daily scriptures, have your time, have your place and just sit down, decide how long you're going to do it. Set your watch, set your phone for 15 minutes. So otherwise you're looking at it. Oh, is it time yet? Am I late for work? Set that so you know, you know, I got this 15 minutes in my chair with my crucifix and my Bible with the day's readings. I think that's the place to start. That's a really great methodology. I mean, if you think about it, if you like make it non-negotiable for yourself like it's right. something you can't miss you set that appointment with yourself it makes it a little bit easier to stick to because you don't want to let yourself down and and the two fit together because if you have that appointment if you have that time then the water is seeping into the soil god's grace is seeping into our lives and then we can bear fruit but as soon as we slack then we start to wither Right. So we hear people talk about intercession about like asking the saints for help or things like that what is it and how can you incorporate it into your prayers? Yeah. And, and you said it just right. It's asking for help. <laughs> and whether that is the saints asking the saints to pray for us or whether it's somebody else, um, it's that asking for help. Um, I sometimes I think we as Catholics sometimes cause some of the confusion that we pray to the saints um, because, oh, I got to say my prayers to St. Anthony, you know, <laughs> whatever it is that no, we don't pray to the saints. We simply ask them to intercede for us. We believe that the saints are in heaven, and so we ask them to pray for us. Just as we ask my neighbor, hey, you know, something's going on in life, and so I have a big test tomorrow, would you pray for me? But that intercession, how do you do it? How do you incorporate it into your prayers? There's certainly a lot of different ways. Um, I know I have some things that other people have given to me, and so I keep them in particular places so that whenever I pick it up, oh, this reminds me of, of... Barbara. Oh, that reminds me of Joe. And so it's just that opportunity to say a little prayer, just even just a quick, Lord, you know what's going on in their lives, help them. Doesn't need to be anything big or formal, I think, if we're asked to pray for people or, but it's just those little reminders that can really be helpful. 
No, I really like that. I taught my son, the one, my oldest son, he had lost something and I was busy looking for something else for one of my other sons. And I said, well, ask St. Anthony for help and he'll help you find it. <laughs> so he quite literally looked up to the ceiling and said, St. Anthony, help me find my toy truck. And sure enough, later on, we found it. So that's like the thing in our house now is anytime something's lost, one of the boys will look up, St. Anthony, we need your help again. Can't find this. That's and good. That's, that's really St. Cool. Anthony doesn't like me, so <laughs> it never works. <laughs> He's probably like, oh, you lost it again <laughs> in our house. again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another popular form of prayer is the rosary. Mm. So could mm-hmm. you talk to me a little bit about how do you pray the rosary and why are there four mysteries? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's Christ's life. You know, it's God's um, action in human history. That we recall all those mysteries of what God does, um, the the incarnation, you know, that in the the joyful mysteries is really what it's about, and how God has interacted, how God has entered into time, and and, and giving uh, us His Son to take our flesh, and all those things, and then we go into um, as John Paul II added the luminous mysteries, you know, His baptism, His ministry transfiguration. So his ministry here on earth and his life here on earth and recalling those things, of course, the sorrowful mysteries, the crucifixion and that the, that tremendous event of Jesus offering himself to the Father on the cross for us, that we can enter into that. And then the, the glorious mysteries, the resurrection and the coronation of Mary, all those things. So it's really walking us through Christ's life. And it's why we have those all four mysteries now. John Paul added the, the luminous, so giving us the totality of Christ's life here on earth. So for us to meditate on. Now, how you pray the rosary? Well, with each of those mysteries, there's the beads, right? And Hail Mary, full of grace. And in some ways, that can become kind of a mantra that for some people, maybe you don't really focus on the words. Some people do focus on what they're saying and and recalling that. For other people, it just becomes the mantra that, at least the way my mind works, keeps that one level of my mind busy so that the other level can be more meditative and thinking about what the mystery is. And so I think that's um, kind of how you can, one way that you can pray the rosary. I found a really fascinating way to pray the rosary a number of years ago. I was able, privileged to go on retreat to Quebejo with um, Immaculée Lebeguese. So uh, to see Our Lady of Quebejo to visit the shrine. And as we were going, she suggested you know, when you announce the mystery, let's say the Annunciation, think of something very concrete. Oh, you know, that neighbor, my my niece, she just found out she's pregnant. And as you pray then that mystery, the rosary, the Annunciation, Mary finding out she was pregnant, my niece just found out she was pregnant. Incorporate that into the prayer and be praying very specifically for that. You know, Jesus accepts his cross. You know, oh, you know, my neighbor just found out she has this terrible illness and Lord, help her to, but it, for me, when I pray the rosary, it makes it so concrete. Um, not that those mysteries in themselves aren't enough to contemplate and to really think about, but for me, it really helps me to engage even more in the rosary because I'm thinking about the mystery, yes, but also how that mystery is lived in people's lives. And I can call that to mind in my prayers. I pray it. That's fantastic. I like that real tactile sense of associating it with whatever is currently happening in your life, it makes it a lot easier than just, you know, another bead on the, on the rosary. Exactly. What is a novena and how do you pray one? Mm, that's a great question. And I, I don't know if many people realize where a novena came from. 
what the first novena was. Right. Because the first novena um, was with the apostles and Mary. That after Jesus' ascension on, fortunately, this part of the country, we still celebrate it on Thursday. So on Ascension Thursday, what did he tell them to do? Go and pray together and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so for nine days, they were together and they prayed, um, preparing themselves for what would become Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into those lives. So that's really the first novena. Those nine days of prayer, of preparation, of opening themselves up to God's grace and being ready to receive all that God showers um, in their lives. And, and that's really what it's about. And there are lots of different kinds of novenas um, for humility or novenas um, involving the Blessed Mother, or all kinds of things to do just that, to open our hearts, to prepare ourselves, to to receive all the graces that God wants to give to us. So that's really what it is. It's just those nine days of prayer. Now, one thing I think that we have to be careful about is there's a very fine line between faith and superstition. Oh, if I do these nine days, you know, God has, well, God doesn't have to do anything, right? It's all gracious gift. But if we are really delving into this prayer and really focusing on the litany or whatever it is this novena is about, humility or openness to God's grace, asking him to help us know our vocation, whatever it might be, that God certainly hears and God listens. And because we've opened our heart, we're ready to receive. It's not that God has to magically answer. <laughs> and, and you know, sometimes we get worried because, oh, no, I missed it today. I got busy. It's okay. <laughs> you know, uh, things happen. Um, we just delve right back in, jump right back in and continue on. It's not, again, you didn't break the spell because you missed a day. This is faith, not superstition. And so we just continue to pray and ask God to open our hearts to receive what he wants to give. That's really awesome. So this is a personal problem for me. Okay. How do you combat distraction and sleepiness? Because sometimes I find myself praying and then I just fall asleep in the middle of it. Okay. Well, let's address sleepiness first. When do you pray? When do you pray? I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves. I I think so often, so many parishes or, or Christians emphasize that aspect of tithing, of giving the first 10% to God, and it's the, the best 10%, right? And I think that's the same with our time. And so I will often ask people, what's your most productive time? When are you most alert? When are you most able to be engaged? For some people, maybe it's morning. For some people, maybe it's evening. That's the time to pray. Because then you're alert, you're functioning. Like for me, it, it will certainly not be the evening because I'm tired. And as soon as I sit down to pray in my special chair with my crucifix and my relic, I'm out. <laughs> but in the morning, even though it's early and it, I, I wake up earlier than I would like because I know I need that time, but it's the time that I'm most productive and alert. And so I think that's the way we combat the sleepiness. What's your tithe? What's your best time? That's the time you give to God. Distraction. I often remember years ago when I was on retreat, I took a little book with me that was, um, I don't remember the title of the book. Oh, I do remember. It was called On Retreat with the Russian Pilgrim. Um, they don't know who this author was, so he's just the Russian pilgrim. But he was talking about distraction. And he said, distraction, or, uh, prayer is like looking at the leaves of a tree. Distraction is monkeys in the tree. And he said, that happens. Monkeys will sometimes get in the trees and they'll start swinging around. 
Now, how we approach that is important. If you say, monkeys, I'm trying to focus on this tree, and you go over to the tree and you start trying to wrestle the monkeys out and pull them out and they're screaming and the monkeys have won because now you're totally distracted. <laughs> but if you just recognize, oh yeah, look, there's monkeys. Now, where are those leaves on that tree? Eventually the monkeys get bored and they go away. <laughs> and, and for me, that's always been helpful. We're human beings. We're going to get distracted. Now, again, if we have our special chair in our place, hopefully we don't have the distractions around us. Maybe our chair faces the corner. You know, we don't have the distractions. But when they come and they're going to come, oh, I'm distracted. Now, where was I? Just pull ourselves back. Don't get caught up in it. Don't try to wrestle it to the ground. Just recognize it and come back where you were. Kind of like driving. If you notice yourself making a mistake, you make a small adjustment mm -hmm. rather than just jerking the wheel. Right. Exactly. I like that. Is there an ideal amount of time you should be praying each day? And how, we talked about this a little bit, but how can mm. you build the habit if you're not already in the habit? Yeah. I, again, that regular time to make sure that you have a regular time that you go. We all have our morning routines, right? <laughs> make prayer part of that routine. In my case, I get up just before five so I can watch the news and have a cup of coffee. That's another thing Fulton Jean said. Every good holy hour begins with a good cup of coffee. <laughs> So have my cup of coffee and then by 5.30, I'm in the chapel so that I can spend the time. So making that habit of time, regular time that you go, that builds the habit then. The ideal amount of time, you know, that's really going to vary. Um, as I was talking about this with the deacon aspirants the other night during class, Sister Geraldine and I were both there. So I said, you know, Sister and I, we have the real luxury to be able to take an hour and just go and spend time with the Lord. That is a great blessing that we have in our lives and a great grace. And it's it's needed so that we can make sure we're filled with God's life to share it with others. But that may not work for a, a working mom. You know, to take an hour away when the kids need attention or you need to get to work or whatever other things are, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So for some people, it may just be the 10 minutes. It may be, hey, once I get the kids to bed, my husband and I, we can pray the rosary together, whatever it is. But you need to just make the, the commitment to how much time it will be. And I actually brought my breviary with me because there's a wonderful thing from St. Vincent, no, St. Francis de Sales. Um, he wrote a wonderful book, a spiritual classic called The Introduction to the Devout Life. And a couple things he talks about. I'm just going to read, if it's okay, just read a little bit. Please tell me whether it is proper for a bishop to want to lead a solitary life like a Carthusian, or for married people to be no more concerned than a, a Capuchin about increasing their income, or for a working man to spend his whole day in church like a religious, or on the other hand, for a religious to be constantly exposed like a bishop to all the events. So he's just talking about each of us in our own vocations have different times that we might be able to commit to prayer or different aspects that we would be able to commit to prayer, but in all of it, in whatever our vocation, and I think that's part of what St. Francis de Sales gets at, whatever our vocation, that we're offering it to God. And then when you have to get to work or you have to get the kids to bed or whatever, that becomes part of your prayer because you're living and fulfilling your vocation and giving of yourself to others. And that's what draws us in holiness. Sacrifice is what draws us to holiness. That's what the word means sacrifice to make holy. That's good to hear because like you said, I 
definitely don't have an hour that I can just no. carve out. You know, I'm lucky if I get 10 to 15 minutes. Exactly. But then you carve out the 10 to 15 minutes, right? Right. And you make sure that you get it. What do you do if you're battling a season of dryness in prayer? Persevere. <laughs> That's the only answer. Persevere. Sometimes when I pray, I'm just sitting there like, okay, Lord, here I am. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> What's going on? So it is. It's just persevering. But sometimes even in that dryness, and you know, St. John of the Cross, the, the uh, dark night of the soul, the dryness that sometimes happens, God sometimes allows that because it increases our desire. And so that persevering through the dryness is actually God maybe tilling the soil so that when the moment is right, something can come in. So it's just persevering. That's really the only answer. Persevere. I like that. And I like I like that reference of keep going back to a plant because if you think about it, like the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the oh, fruit. Right. So it has to have time to, yeah. to grow. I like that. So according to the catechism, prayer is a battle. How is prayer a battle and who are you in battle against? <laughs> well, we just talked about the battle, didn't we? The, the distraction and the sleepiness and, you know, uh, all the other things, dryness. It's a battle. And so uh, in a battle, you can't give up. You got to keep at it. And so, again, perseverance, I think, is that answer. Who are you battling? I think there's a couple people. The first person I battle in my prayer is me. <laughs> To get to my corner, to take the time, to not let other things encroach on it. That that time is just as important. And I remember in when I was in seminary, I would always think to myself, oh my gosh, I have this big test coming. I need to go study. Oh, I haven't prayed yet. Prayer, I could never consider prayer as time away from study or time away from other things because the, it's all connected. And so um, to make sure that we're taking that time, it is a battle. And the first one I battle with is me. Um, but certainly another one, the battle is the evil one, that he doesn't want us to pray. He wants us to be filled with the other things of this world. And doesn't our world fill us with all kinds of things, whether it's just idle stuff with the TV on or whatever, we're so filled. And he doesn't want us to empty ourselves, to spend time with God so that we can receive the gentle rain that he pours into our lives. And so it is, it's a battle, again, with me, but it's also a battle with the evil one who certainly does not want us to pray because we'll draw closer to God. We talked about this a little bit, but what are some of your best practices for a fruitful prayer life? Mm. I think that Lexio Divina, as it's called, is so important that just taking time with the scriptures. And I love the way that St. Ignatius suggested that we pray. It's an Ignatian spirituality. And I was blessed to be able to do the 30-day silent retreat one time before I was ordained. Uh, but St. Ignatius suggested, when you pray, sit down with the scriptures. And he, he suggested the Gospels, because again, they're so vivid. Sit down to pray. Read it. Read the passage again, and then put it away. And then say, God, I'm, I offer to you my imagination. So use it. And then enter the scene. I'm just going to pick one. So Jesus calls Peter to step out of the boat and walk on the water. Okay, it's a familiar passage. So I've read it twice. I've offered my uh, imagination to God. Okay, now I'm sitting in the boat with the apostles. And I'm feeling the wind and, and the rain. And what? Oh, Peter, what did you just say? 
oh, what a terrible storm. Yeah, you're listening to them talking. Of course, it's not in the scripture, but you've asked God to use your imagination. And so you hear interactions, you hear what they're saying, you feel the wind, you feel the temperature, you feel the boat rocking. And then what is that over? Who is that a person walking on water? What? What are the what are the reactions? And then come on, get out, walk. Well, me? Are you kidding? You know, you're you're in the scene. You're part of the story. It makes it come alive. And God can really speak in incredible ways because when you get out of the boat, are you able to walk on the water or do you sink? And if you walk on the water, where are you focused? If you sink, what does Jesus say to you? You know, it, just so many ways. It can go so many different directions. But for me, that is the most fruitful way to pray because it's praying the scriptures, but it's also giving that openness to God to speak to us through the characters in the scene, through Jesus, whoever it might be, he can, he can really speak to us. So for me, that's the, the best way that I pray is just taking the time with the scriptures, being part of the scene and interacting and letting God speak and then listening. That's fascinating. I've never heard that before. And that just to me is like, just got my wheels turning in my brain. I'm like, oh, that is, yeah, that is something I'm definitely going to try. So when I when I did it during my 30 day retreat, the retreat director, we were focusing on um, the nativity, so Jesus in the manger and Mary and Joseph. And uh, my spiritual director turned to me and she said, "Well, did you hold the baby?" I'm like, what? What do you mean? Did I hold the baby? <laughs> did Did you ask Mary if you could hold the baby? And so I went back and did the prayer again, and. Mary, would you mind if I held? Oh, certainly. Just what an interaction that can happen. And that's the cool thing about it, that you could do the same passage over and over and over again. And every time it's going to be different because God speaks. What does St. Paul say? That the scriptures are like a sword between bone and marrow. Every time we do it, God will speak to us where we are, what's going on, whatever's happening in life. And he'll interact with us in ways that are just incredible. I love that. Thank you so much for giving us all these tactile things that we can try in prayer. And hopefully we will be growing some really awesome fruit from our prayer lives. Absolutely. We've got a great time for that coming up, don't we? Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.